0: Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. We are currently looking for storytellers for the next Tell Us Something storytelling event. The theme is Letting Go. If you'd like to pitch your story for consideration, please call 406-203-4683. You have three minutes to leave your pitch. The pitch deadline is August 7th. I look forward to hearing from you this week on the podcast.
1: And so that night I asked her, I was like, let's go for this hike, you know, it's Mother's Day weekend. I would
2: I would love to do this with you. And she said, yeah, okay.
0: Four storytellers share their true personal story on the theme, didn't see that coming.
2: So the next day, we're in the hospital, the doctor comes in, and he tells us that I probably have acute liver failure and that I most likely will need a liver transplant. And he wants to life flight me over to the transplant center at the University of Washington in Seattle.
0: Their stories were recorded live in person in front of a sold out crowd.
3: Oh, Jane, you are so beautiful. The sun used to see beauties, but the son has never seen a girl beautiful like you.
0: On June 27th, 2022,
3: Becky
4: is a straight girl. And any lesbians out here, you know what trouble straight girls are. They've listened to one too many Katy Perry songs. They just want to kiss a girl and they'll kiss you, but then they'll break your heart.
0: In Bonner Park in Missoula, Montana. We wouldn't have been able to produce this event without the help of our title sponsor, Blackfoot Communications. We are so grateful to the team at Blackfoot for their support. Learn more about Blackfoot Communications over at blackfoot.com. Our first story comes to us from Ray Scott. Ray takes us on a hike up Waterworks Hill in Missoula, Montana, where they finally find the mother they've always wanted. Ray calls their story, good mom hunting. Thanks for listening.
1: I think that every good love story begins with a heartbreak. The end of my 8th grade year, my biological mother kind of went a little crazy. She ended up leaving with my three siblings. I had no idea where she went, and I had no idea if she was coming back. I was really scared and disappointed, but I think I knew that that was coming. A few months later, driving to the China Buffet, I saw Her Subaru, or her Suburban, I could tell because the back window was busted out. In the Suburban was there she sat. My siblings were playing around at Little Caesars. I haven't seen them for months, and I was so absolutely happy to see them. And when I saw my mom, she didn't even get out the car to say hi to me. That's about five years ago. I was 13. I'm 18 now, and I still haven't seen her since. About a little while after that, um, my dad had gotten divorced for the second time, and we were all really numb at that point. Women were coming in and out of our lives, and we were all kind of defeated. My dad ended up coming home one day and saying that he had met a very lovely woman on Match.com. Not sponsored. And he said her name was Angela, and I was really excited, but I was really, really nervous. Oh, I had sat with myself for hours and hours and asking myself, what was wrong with me? Why, why won't women stay in my life? Why won't women stay and love me for the person that I am? Feels like maybe two weeks, but it was definitely longer than that. But she had ended up moving in with her two lovely boys, Alex and Aaron, And it was a bit of a rough start. My older brother Connor and I, it had been a while since we started a new family, met new people. So we were all a little bit nervous. After a long, long while of bonding, not bonding fighting, buckets being thrown at younger siblings, I had hit a stopping point with Angie. When you have similar trauma to somebody, you know exactly where to hit when it comes to fighting. We would always jab each other. And sometimes we meant it, sometimes we didn't. But nevertheless, it always really hurt. Once again, I had to sit down with myself and ask, what is wrong with me? Why won't women love me? Why won't women stay? Why don't I have a mom? Why won't this new mom love me? So, I was ready to give up. I didn't wanna keep trying. I didn't wanna keep pushing for something that I didn't think I was going to get. I was out and about downtown with some friends, and I came across the artist's workshop, and there were the peace sign stickers. And I was like, oh, Angie would love this, Angie would love this. So I got her some, and the cashier was like, oh, this is happening. There's, there's um, a hike that's going up at Waterworks Hill. For those of you who don't know, Waterworks Hill is a hiking path where the old peace sign used to be. There's a huge peace sign um, that when you drove into Missoula, you could see. And they had a hike that was going on. And I was like, oh, Angie would love that. This is like my final chance to reconnect with this person, my final chance to, to really convince her that, that she should stay, that, that I am a good person. <laughs> And so, that night, I asked her, I was like, let's go for this hike, you know, it's Mother's Day weekend, I would, I would love to do this with you, and she said, yeah, okay. So the night before, I'm laying in my bed, I'm like, okay, here's all the stupid shit you don't say to your mom. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. I'm prepping myself for this day, it needs to go perfect. This is my last chance, it has to be perfect. That morning, I wake up, unbelievably nervous. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's go, I'm really excited. So we're talking, we, we start driving up to the hill and a lot of people are there. And um, I got to meet the previous, uh, I think she's a founder of the JRPC. Anyway, very lovely people. But I remember it being so cold. We got, We were at the bottom, it was nice and toasty, it was warm. We hike up this hill. I'm wearing Converse, which is a very poor foot choice <laughs> to go hiking in. But I did it anyway, because I have no fear. I'm walking up this hill with Angie, and we're just talking talking about anything in our lives, anything that we could grasp onto. I wasn't trying hard to start a conversation. didn't want to make it obvious. I was trying hard. But. So we finally get up to the top of the hill and they're they're doing a presentation about the old peace sign and the people that were painting the peace sign. And oh my god, it was stupidly windy. It was so cold. It was so cold up there, and I had only brought in like a hoodie, a zip-up hoodie and nothing else, maybe a beanie, but I was so cold. Angie is really smart. She has a really good job of thinking ahead, and so she had ended up making us some bone broth. Wasn't the best, but it was really warm and it was really lovely. And she had also made me a cup of tea beforehand. It's like she knew it was gonna be freezing. So we're out there, we're listening to these stories. She's listening to these stories. I'm trying to (laughs) make this moment stay in my life. And I look at her and she's paying attention so thoughtfully and so beautifully. And I look at her and it's so hard not to cry. Because at that moment, I realized how much I truly love this woman. And how much I desperately needed her to stay in my life. So I look at her, and I say, Angie, it's so cold. And she unzips her hoodie, wraps it around me, and just stands there with me. She keeps me warm. We go down that hill, and I'm so relieved. I didn't have to speak a single word to this woman. And she was my mom. I had never gotten prom dress shopping before. No one had ever braided my hair or went on drives with me to talk about boys and eat ice cream. But Angela took me prom dress shopping. Angela braided my hair. She still does. And Angela takes me on car rides and talks to me about boys and eats chocolate with me. Thank you,
0: Mom. Thanks, Ray. Ray Scott is a theater nerd through and through. They enjoy animals, music, and is pretty sure that gingers will ruin their life. With an incredibly large family who puts the fun in dysfunctional, Ray has a lot of love to give. Ray looks life directly in the eye and observes before responding with ferocious truth. Ray is an old soul, ready to share their truth on the stage and in a variety of other yet-to-be-discovered art forms. Our next story comes to us from Anne Peacock. Anne is loaded into a cargo plane for a life flight to Seattle to get a new liver. Anne calls her story... An unexpected plane ride. Thanks for listening.
2: In the beginning of October of 2019, I woke up and I was exhausted. I was also a little nauseous and I had some slight tremors, but I just put it down to growing old. So then I found out that a friend of mine had been diagnosed with mono and she and I had been sharing a mic. Well, let me rephrase that because my husband's name is Mike, so... (laughs) We, we had actually been sharing a microphone, and, and so I went to get tested. So no to mono, but my liver function was off. So two weeks, and there are more tests, and there's more nausea, and more Netflix. And I wake up, and I am in the hospital with an IV in my arm. It is nighttime. It is dark and peaceful and quiet, and I have no idea how I got there. So it turns out that my husband had come home from work and found me still in bed, and I was incoherent and slurring my words. So he rushed me to the ER, where I was diagnosed with dehydration and ammonia on the brain. So the next day, we're in the hospital, the doctor comes in, and he tells us that I probably have acute liver failure, and that I most likely will need a liver transplant, and he wants to life flight me over to the transplant center at the University of Washington in Seattle. Didn't see that coming, (laughs) really. I was a 57-year-old healthy woman, you know, I tried to eat right and exercise, and I had literally spent my life trying to avoid alcohol because my dad was an alcoholic and he died from his disease. I mean, I didn't even like to take over-the-counter medication. So the leap from dehydration to liver transplant was pretty shocking. So so then the doctor tells us that he sees that we're kind of like deer in the headlights. And so he starts to try to dial it back a little bit. And he sort of emphasizes, well, they might need a liver. It could possibly, and just in case, he is insisting that I get Life lighted out to UW. So my husband and I are like, well, can't we drive? I mean, Life light is incredibly expensive. I mean, we think it's like around $100,000. And our insurance, we're not sure if it covers it. And it's only eight hours. And the doctor's like, well, you, you might survive the drive over there, but you might not. And really, I mean, when you think about it, what's your life worth? It's just $100,000. <laughs> so I am lifelighted out to UW. About, get there about 11 o'clock at night, and I am in the UCU, and I am immediately inside an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Every single person in the room, except for me, is a very attractive 30 something professional. <laughs> and there's like all this clever dialogue and snappy banner back and forth between the nurse. So the ICU doctor is gorgeous. He has these soft, warm hands and these deep blue eyes and this really great jawline. So my girlfriend nicknames him Dr. McDreamy. So he is also, though, caring and kind and reassuring. And every single doctor and nurse and support staff that I meet in that hospital the entire time I stay there is the same and I feel seen and I feel taken care of and I feel safe. So, which is a wonderful feeling and I am laying in the bed and I am overcome with this sensation surrounded by all these wonderful people that I am so blessed and humble and I, I've never really used that term before. I think of it as sort of like have a nice day. But in that moment, I understood what being blessed and humble really felt like. And it was incredible. And it was not just the doctors and the nurses and the support staff. I mean, it was everyone. It was my family and my friends who all stepped up to the plate and did what ever needed to be done. And I was astonished by the amount of love and support that people gave me. And I told my husband later, I said, you know, I really need to work on being the person that all these people seem to think I am. <laughs> so, which I'm, I'm still trying to do. So my husband and my best friend, who are driving over from Missoula, get there about one o'clock. And by that time, I am deep into the process of getting registered on the, on the tram- transplant registry. Hard to say. <laughs> So because there are so many more people who need transplants than there are organs available, you have to meet a certain criteria for them to accept you as an organ recipient, which is a little like standing before the pearly gates, I have to admit, (laughs) but everyone is very encouraging. And basically what you need to do is you just need to survive the operation, and be able to take care of this amazing gift that they are giving you. So we're almost done. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then they say, we need to check your teeth. I'm like, what? And they're like, sure. So apparently, if you have tooth decay, certain operations, you will release a flood of bacteria into your bloodstream, and you can get a life-threatening infection. So I am thinking, oh no. (laughs) because I'm thinking of all the years that I haven't flossed. And I am thinking, oh my god, not flossing will kill me. And and my dentist is right. So again, they're very encouraging. And obviously, I, I managed to you know make it through. And I get put on the registry. So now the ICU's job is to keep me alive for as long as they can until I find a match. And I am so lucky because I have magical blood. It is AB positive and I can match A, I can match B, I can match AB and O positive blood. I am a universal receiver. One of the things though, so about three days in, they 're worried about is fluid building up on the brain, so they to combat that, they insert a catheter kind of through my neck and get it as close to my heart as they can, and then they pump this high sodium solution into me i 'm not allowed to eat because I could go into surgery at any moment i 'm not allowed to drink because they're really watching my fluids. so I am incredibly thirsty so And to make matters worse, every time I try to trick the nurses or doctors into getting me ice chips, my husband and my best friend who stay with me the entire time in the room leap up and go, no, she can't have them. But then my back starts to hurt and the nurse offers me a cold pack and I have a choice between (laughs) ice or gel. (laughs) And I choose the ice. So late at night, when everyone is asleep, I pry this ice bag open. And then I think, you know, really, how sterile is the inside of a reusable ice bag at a hospital? So I compromise. I say, I'll only drink half a glass, which I do. And it is the nectar of the gods. And then I immediately call the nurse in and have her take it away so I am not tempted. And from then on, I only use gel packs. But one of the other things about being on the liver registry is that you have to let them know what level of liver you were willing to take so i found out that there are actually three tiers of of organ donors and one of is the first tier is perfect the second tier has some slight medical anomaly that they can fix with a minor surgery and the third level is uh, hepatitis C. So hepatitis C is now curable, and it's really easy. You just take this one pill every day for 30 days. But it's this hepatitis C group that is so tragic because most of the people in this group are young people who have died of a drug overdose. And, and there is no way around it that I, I have to face that I am benefiting from someone else's tragedy. So you're not allowed to contact your donor family directly, but you can write them a letter and the social worker at the hospital will pass it on. And it has been two and a half years and I have not found the right words to say. because how do I thank someone for giving me back my future when they've just lost theirs? So spoiler alert, I got the transplant. (laughs) It went well, I am here. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I wake up in the recovery room, and it is nighttime, and it is dark and quiet and peaceful. I'm a little disoriented, but I look over, and I see my husband's bright orange water bottle just there on the table, and I immediately relax because I know that he is in the room with me. And then I think, I'm also relaxed because I realize that I can have a drink of water whenever I want. Thank
0: you. Thanks, Anne. Anne Peacock escaped the enticement of Madame Laveau in New Orleans and honoring her calling of embodying truth via the alleged fiction of theater. Anne has been a resident of Missoula since the late 1980s, which she swears was just three weeks ago. She now calls Polson, Montana her home, and is gradually adjusting to life outside the big city of Missoula. Our next storyteller is Ablomvi Agboyigo. Ablomvi sees a cute girl across campus and is persistent in his pursuit of her. Ablomvi calls his story, love concretes everything, never give up. Thanks for listening.
3: I think it's a privilege and an honor for me to be here and uh, you know, to tell my story. Thank you so much for inviting me. Actually, it was one Friday afternoon, after studying at university. I was so tired and hungry as well, so I decided to walk out of the campus to find a taxi and go back home. Busy with my telephone, I was writing and reading messages. And suddenly, a smell of a perfume drew my attention. Oh, it was the best smell over. The perfume smelled like a a lilac. I was obliged to raise my hand and see who was passing by. Fortunately for me, I saw a young, beautiful lady passing by with a a big buttock, walking. (laughs) Hi, lady, where are you going? (laughs) And she said, go home. What is your name? Jane, she replied me. Oh, Jane, you are so beautiful. I love your bodybuilding. The sun used to see beauties, but the sun has never seen a girl beautiful like you. <laughs> Definitely, I would like you to become my girlfriend. <laughs> so she paused for a minute, for some seconds, and said, I will think over it and let, let you know after all. Uh, can you give me your telephone number? Uh, she said no problem, and she gave me her business card. Definitely I told myself that the battle was half won. If she gave me her, her number, it means that she will accept the offer. So when I went back home at night, I tried her number to make sure that she reached the home safe and sound. But I tried in vain. The number was not working. I was frustrated. I was asking myself so many questions. Did she give me a wrong number? What happened with her telephone? Or I, myself, I didn't write the number well. I went to bed, but I couldn't sleep that night until midnight. I was turning right and left on the bed. So after midnight, I decided to try the number again. And this time, the telephone started to ring. I was half satisfied because, for me, she will pick the call. It kept on ringing, but she didn't pick the call. Finally, I sent her a message, and I went back to, to my bed. This time, I slept because, you know, there is hope now that the number is working. <laughs> the next morning, she called me apologizing for the fact that she was not with her telephone. And I told her, no, you, never, you shouldn't worry about that. There is no problem with that. But can, you meet, can we meet together in the evening for dinner? She said, no problem. I was so excited to meet her in the evening because I would like to see the same beautiful girl I saw the, the, night, the, the, the evening before. And when we met over the dinner, she let me know that she welcomed my idea of becoming my friend. I said, wow. And from that time, I used to call her three times a day in the morning Honey, how are you? Did you have a good sleep? At 12 o'clock, I used to call her, What are you going to eat for lunch? And then in the evening, Did you have a good day? So sleep with a lot of love. This is how we started. After nine months of relationship, we decided to get married, have as many children as possible, and people the whole world. And it was from there that I decided to know her parents. Actually, her parents were divorced, and both were, they, they were living in the different villages. I decided to meet her mother first, because in my community, if your, your mother-in-law accepts you, it means that the father-in-law will accept you. That's why I decided to meet the mother first. So we had two hours and a half trip to visit the mother. When we went there, after self in- greeting and self-introduction, she offers us a delicious meal. Even when I was at the gates, the smell of the the, the meal made my mouth water. Wow. I say, what kind of meal is this? It was rice and chicken. It, It was such a delicious meal. After eating the meal, I thank her very profusely for the honor because the meal she offered to us was in fact great. And after that, after the meat, after eating the meal, we continued the discussion. And she asked me, uh, tell me, where are you from? And I told her, I am from Vogan village, situated in uh, the south of Togo. Are your parents also living in the same place? And I say, yes. She stood up and said, no, you cannot be with my girl. Actually, I told her that, in fact, I would like to get married with her daughter. That's why I have come to see her. No, you cannot get, get married with my daughter. That one is not possible. And she left, quit the house and the room and left Jane and I in the room. Actually, the problem is that the highest personality of the country are from the north. Jane and her parents are from the north, and then I am from the south. And then the the highest personalities of the north, most of them consider those from the south as inferior to them. So Jane's mother cannot imagine that. Her daughter can bring somebody from the South to her that she would like to marry with that person. And we were in the room for some minutes. The mother was not coming back. And suddenly, Jane started to cry. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't want me to to marry Ablami, I'm going to kill myself. I felt very sorry for her. I tried to console her, but she was unconsolable. She kept on crying. And finally, I decided that we should leave. But the mother was not coming. When we went out of the room, the mother sat at the gate of the house. I went to her and made her a farewell. In fact, before going, I brought her a nice gift. It was a a nice necklace that I brought to her. In fact, I would like to let her know that by that gift, I will take good care of her daughter, in fact. But she refused. No, I don't want your gift. Go away with your gift. I don't want you to be with my doctor anymore. I felt very frustrated, and I was sorry. But Jane kept on crying at that time, and we drove back. On our way back home, she kept on crying. I tried my best to to convince her not to cry, but she kept on crying. I even told her that I didn't take credit for what her mother told me that I continue to love her. She has to believe in me. We, we have to continue till the end, the, the, the end, but she didn't believe me. Back home the next morning, she felt very sick. When I called the people with whom she's in the same room, they told me that she was very sick and she was brought to hospital. Wow. I went to visit her in the hospital and she told me that even if she died, I have to be convinced that she loves me, and uh, I have to keep it in my mind that there is a girl called Jane who loved me and who died for me. So I told her she shouldn't say things like that, that she has to recover, and together we will get married. She was there until she stayed in the hospital for a week, and uh, after that, she recovered, and she was sent back home. And from that time, she suggested to me that we should go now and see her father. I hesitated at the beginning because I was afraid that what happened with the mother may happen to me again. I didn't accept at the beginning, but she convinced me that we should go. And we take two hours drive to visit his father. And when we arrived at the gate, I told her to be in front. I would like to hide. LAUGHTER <laughs> And then she was in front and we went into the room. The father welcomed us and offered us a drink. In fact, in my community, if you visit somebody, somebody, the first thing the person gonna offer you is water. So he offered us water and we drink. And he asked me what wind blows me there. It means the purpose of my visit. And I told him that in fact, I love his daughter a lot. And I would like to get married here. And actually, I have come to know him so that I see what I can bring as a daughter to him. And he said, great ideas. Oh, if you come to see me, it means that you love my daughter. I like your idea. You should not worry. I was really surprised. And I was happy. And Jane was happy as well. She stood from her chair and came and hugged me. And that day, we even wanted to kiss each other in front of the father, but it's not allowed. And And then finally, he gave me the list, and then I went back. After two months, I tried to buy everything that I need, and then we went back. I invited my parents, we were together, we paid a daughter, and we celebrated the traditional marriage. That day, Jane was too happy. I was too happy, the father was so happy, and as well as the whole members. They gave us some pieces of advice, like you have to love your wife, you have to take care of your wife. And they told Jane, Jane, you have to be submissive to your husband, if there is a problem, you have to discuss with, with him. And this is how we got married, and we have two kids. Love concrete everything, we should not give up. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Oblamvi. Agboy Agboiibo is an English teacher at Blita High School in Blita, Togo, which is in Western Africa. Oblamvi is one of the participants of the Study of the United States Institutes for Global Scholars, or SUSI, which is a United States Department of State-sponsored program for mid-career foreign scholars and educators designed to improve the teaching about the United States in academic institutions abroad. SUSE is a program of the Mansfield Center, part of the University of Montana. Our final story in this episode comes to us from Kathy Schultens. Kathy goes on a hike with her best friend to Hope Lake in Montana. They work out their complicated feelings for each other overnight and are now celebrating 25 years married. Kathy calls her story, friendship, hope, and wisdom. Thanks for listening.
4: As with any great adventure, there's often complications. They can be logistical, physical, and sometimes they're matters of the heart. My best friend Becky and I were hiking in the big hole to Hope Lake. We'd never been. We wanted to go. It was late September. Weather was terrible. But we started up. The map said seven miles. We could do that. What the map didn't say, we figured out about the 30th switchback, was It was six miles straight up to the Continental Divide, over the top, and down another mile to the lake. So we're making promises to God to just get up there. She's my best friend, and we're just talking like best friends do. We have a third companion, Katie the Wonder Dog. She was a three-year-old golden retriever, and uh, didn't belong to us, but we had her with us. Well, we were talking about everything except what we needed to talk about. Because I'd met Becky about seven years before that, and we immediately became best friends. She was smart and funny. She was a tomboy, and I was a tomboy, go figure. And so uh, we did all kinds of fun stuff together. She was the most caring and kind person I'd ever met. As a matter of fact, Whenever we had to go into Missoula and we went together, I made sure I drove. Why? Because if you were in the passenger seat, every corner that a guy had a sign, she'd go, Kathy, Kathy, hand that guy 10 bucks. Hand that guy 20 bucks. And it'd come out of my wallet, right? I'm like, pfft. So I drove, saved myself a lot of money. So we were talking about all kinds of stuff except what we needed to talk about. And that was, Recently, our relationship had kind of shifted a little bit. Okay, it shifted a whole lot. We'd become lovers, and we didn't know how that happened, but there we were in the middle of a mad passionate affair, and uh, we didn't know what to do with that. Becky was gung-ho. Becky had said, come be with me. Let's spend the rest of our lives together. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know, because there were some major complications, okay? First... We were both already in relationships. Wasn't fair to them, and we were feeling pretty crappy about that. Two, Becky is a straight girl. And any lesbians out here, you know what trouble straight girls are. They've listened to one too many Katy Perry songs. They just want to kiss a girl, and they'll kiss you, but then they'll break your heart, and I was well aware of that. But the biggest complication was I... I'm a relationship loser, okay? I had left every relationship I was ever in. I would think I was in love, and pretty soon I wasn't in love, and I was gone, okay? Well, Becky wants to have a relationship, and I'm thinking, how can I do that? I'm no good at this. I'm going to hurt her, and I'm going to lose my best friend, and I didn't want to do it, and so, we had a lot of discussion to do to figure out what we were going to do. Neither, of, neither one of us was very keen on that, though, so we, like, ignored it. On the top of the Continental Divide, you can see forever, and it was gorgeous. And we had made it to the top. But what we could see was thunderstorms, snowstorms, and most importantly, The sun was going down. There we are on the top of the continental divide, sun's going down. So we know we're not gonna make the lake. We're not gonna make the lake. We can't because we're responsible and we don't wanna be caught on a mountain in September in the dark, okay? But we take a few minutes to look around and we watch this hawk flying along the ridge just on the air currents, beautiful. And the next thing you know, that hawk comes, and she's hovering right in front of us. And I swear to God, you guys, if I had reached up, I could have touched her, okay? And she's looking at us, and we're like looking at her. And, you know, I'm not one of those bitter root, hoogity-boogity, woo-woo, mystical girls. I'm just not, you know. I'm pretty cut and dry, but... Something mystical happened with that hawk. Can't explain it. She's talking to us. And just as I turn my head to Becky to see if she's hearing the same bullshit I'm hearing, the bird flies up over the other side of the ridge and down towards where we think Hope Lake is. There was no discussion. We had gotten a message. And the message, was go to the lake. So against everything we knew to be smart, we checked our bags and said, what do you got? What do you got? Well, I had a water filtration pump. We had a fishing pole. Becky had a nine millimeter Glock on her hip. <laughs> so butchy. We had a pound of trail mix that I was already sick of. I hated it. <laughs> we had some matches. and a pen light, and we decided, let's go. So, I don't know. We go. And by the time we get down to that stupid, ugly lake, it's dark. Okay, so Becky starts fishing right away because guess what? Katie can't eat trail mix. And I start looking around for something dry to start a fire with because I know we're going to freeze our asses off. And, and I'm watching Becky, and every time she... Gets a fish on. Of course, she's a big cheater, uses worms and bobber. That bobber would go down and Katie would be like, Oh, fun! And she'd jump in after it. And Becky would lose his fish. So uh, I wasn't doing as well either because there's everything's wet. And I can't get anything started. And I was quite the pyromaniac as a child. I could burn down anything, but I was striking out. Well, just then, Becky's coming up. She's got a couple fish that she's saved, and she sees my dilemma, and I'm almost out of matches. Okay, I'm starting to freak, and she says, "Huh, I got something for you," and she reaches deep inside her jacket and pulls out a handful of love letters that I'd written to her in the past couple months. Score, if we're gonna live. So. We take the time to read these letters, because we're in love, you know, we, we read these letters out loud to each other, and they're full of how much I think she's great, I think she's fabulous, and what a shit I am, and how terrible I am, and I'm going to ruin the relationship, you know? And uh, I didn't want to do that. Lots of doubts and fears. And as we're reading them, she's shaking her head, and she's crumpling them up, and putting them in the fire. And pretty soon we got that fire going, and it's rip-roaring now, right? And she's cooking the fish for Katie, not for me. And um, she uh, says, oh, look at that, look at that smoke going up. All your doubts, all your fears, all your misgivings, up in smoke, Shultons. All gone. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, what about the uh, love that's in those letters? She said, oh, the love goes to the universe, and the universe is listening, and we're going to be okay. I just nodded my head. We spent the rest of the night trying to stay warm, freezing our butts off. And every once in a while, Katie would make things interesting by looking off into the woods and growling this growl that I've never heard a golden retriever do. And I would shit my pants every time. Right? Not nah, Becky. Becky like whip that Glock off, go in this commando crouch. Right? She's ready to shoot up anything in the woods. I'm like, woo! She's badass. I love her. So. We spend that night freezing and talking, freezing and talking, freezing and talking. And it starts snowing, first light of dawn, the snow's coming. So we get the hell out of there, right? But I take one last look at that little campsite, and I think to myself, you know, what did we just do? We did something outrageously stupid, dangerous, something we never really should have done. But we trusted each other, and we worked together really well, and we made it happen. And is that much different than what Becky's asking me to do with her? To lean out of my comfort zone, to trust. And I figured if I trusted a bird I'd never met before, I could surely trust my best friend. So on the way down, I tell her, yes. And we are on cloud nine. We run down that mountain. We don't even stop at the camper. We jump in the truck, because we have to find a payphone. The Nearest payphone, Wisdom, Montana. <laughs> so we go to Wisdom, and we call the people that need to know that we're not coming back. And we tell them, because that's not home anymore. Home, Home is in my Becky's arms. And that's where I wanted to be. I'm happy to tell you guys, that trip, that September, this next September, that will be 25 years ago. I'm still madly in love with her, and she's still my best friend. Thank
3: you.
0: Thanks, Kathy. Kathy Schultens is an escapee from southern Florida who has been living in and loving Montana since 1975. She and her wife are diehard eastsiders down in the Bitterroot Valley, along with their two rescue dogs, Pepe Lepew and Jack Hammer. Recently retired after 32 years as a pediatric nurse, Kathy can now often be found strolling down mountain trails and taking an excessive number of photographs along the way. I'm so glad to be back in person sharing stories with you all. I'll bet you have a story to share, right? We've all got a Letting Go story. The next Tell Us Something Live event is scheduled for September 27th. You can pitch your story on the theme Letting Go by calling 406-203-4683. The pitch deadline is August 7th. I look forward to hearing from you. I'll call you as soon as I get your pitch. Thanks again to our title sponsor, Blackfoot Communications. Learn more about Blackfoot over at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our accessibility sponsor, Garden Mother, who subsidized the American Sign Language interpreters at this event, allowing us to support our friends in the deaf community. Garden Mother is a licensed medical marijuana dispensary and is devoted to the love and health of our community through holistic education and resources. All plants are grown with healthy soils that you can taste and feel. Learn more at GardenMother.com. Thanks to our media sponsors, MissoulaEvents.net and Missoula Broadcasting Company, including the family of ESPN Radio, The Trail 103.3, Jack FM, and Missoula's source for modern hits, U104.5. Gecko Designs. Learn more at GeckoDesigns.com. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors.
2: Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile
1: work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at JoyceOfTile.com.
0: Float Missoula. Learn more at FloatMSLA.com. Next week, we'll hear the remaining stories from the Didn't See That Coming live storytelling event in Bonner Park.
4: He's like,
1: I want that gun. He's like, and I want you to go take me to get it. And of course, I'm in love, so why why wouldn't I? So I said yes. I took him to go steal the gun.
4: I step out into the hall. And the first thing I see is a six-foot-two, blonde, Swedish goddess in nothing but high heels. You know, it's a cabaret. I figured strip shows, burlesque, you know, but in Europe, they do the real thing. It's live sex on stage, artfully done. And as we come in, he says, we're going to make the trade for fishing, but have this one other trade if you want to make it. It's one of the greatest life lessons, but I can't share it with you unless you eat my vegetables
0: and your vegetables, both meals a day for the whole time you're here. Tune in for those stories on the next Tell Us Something podcast. Thanks to Cash for Junkers, who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashforjunkersband.com. To learn more about Tell Us Something and to hear stories from the past 11 years, please visit telesomething.org.